Good morning again, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. Um, I just wanted to, first of all, piggyback off something Dylan said, uh, that proverb a day thing. I'm really excited about it. One chapter of Proverbs every day in March. So uh, March 1st is going to be Proverbs 1, March 2nd, Proverbs 2, and so on. Um, that might sound daunting, but I'll break it down for you in minutes. Not one chapter of Proverbs will take you more than five minutes to read. That's it, five minutes. And then we actually have a web page. Jerry created a web page where we can go on and we can actually share comments and interact about what we've read that day. So you can, if you feel so inclined to do that, you can also do that. I'm really excited about this because um, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And who doesn't need a little more wisdom in their life? I know I do. So um, mark your calendar. Uh, let's let's make it happen with uh, the proverb a day. Um, I also wanted to share with you uh, really quickly. Um, next week, we're going to have a very special guest come join us, um, uh, Jeff uh, Hasse. Um, he is a, I'll say it this way, he's a global worker in the Arab world. Um, I, can't, I can't say any more than that because it's sensitive what he does. Um, he is, uh, he and I think possibly his wife, Maybe not his wife, but I just talked with him last night. It's unclear whether or not she's come, going to come. But uh, Jeff is going to come share with us what he does and, and kind of where he does it. And, and uh, I'm just really excited to have him uh, and, and uh, have him come share what he does and, and, and just kind of let us know, kind of give us a, a different perspective of, of what it, like, like, I'm trying to trying to make sure I don't give too many details because it is it is sensitive. But um, just make sure you're here next week so you can hear from uh, Jeff. So um, without any further ado, today we're going to continue in our Gospel of John series. But but you're not going to hear from me. You're going to hear from our beloved Pastor Jason. So can you give it up for Pastor Jason as he comes? Pastor Jason, come teach us the Word of God. Beloved, listen to that. Listen to that. All right, good morning, Anchor Church. How we doing? Well, as you could tell, um, it, it happened finally. Third graders got me sick, so um, there's that. I'm recovering from that, so if I didn't greet you today or shake your hand or talk to you, yeah, you know why. Good news, unlike my third graders, I can cover my mouth when I cough. Hey, bright side is that. Um, hey, I also wanted to piggyback off something that Dylan said. I don't know if you caught the announcement, but next Sunday we're having that parent meeting for kids camp. Now for two years, your teenagers have gone to youth camp, but Anchor Church has never had an opportunity for us, our kids, first grade through fifth grade to go to kids camp. So we're, it's the same place. They're going to the same place. It's just the camp is not for teenagers. It's for children. So I'm really excited about that. And so um, I know that Sarah, Pastor Ryan, and Abraham, and any other parents who are interested in it are excited about it. So there is that parent meeting next week. Hey, if, you're, if that's something you want your child to do, make sure that they're there. All righty. So um, speaking of school, um, I am the youth pastor here at Anchor Church. Uh, we're not having youth service this morning, obviously, because I can't be up there and down here at the same time. I wish I could, but I have not figured out how to clone myself yet. So I'm here this morning uh, preaching the word for you this morning. And I don't really talk about it a lot, 
but I actually did go to Bible college for this. I mean, I, you know, sometimes you think, I know I talk a lot about being a third grade teacher, and I went to school for that too, but I also went to Bible college to prepare for the ministry. So I had classes on youth ministry, I had classes on pastoral ministry, I had a whole bunch of classes on different books of the Bible and like huge sections of the Bible as well. I even had classes where I learned biblical Greek and biblical Hebrew. Now don't, don't test me on that, I'm rusty, but it's there. I did have classes on the biblical Greek and Hebrew as well. And one class that when I was in college, this is like, you know, 2005, 2006, long time ago. Um, it's just catching up to me now. Hold on. All right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, a long time ago, I had a class there, and one of our classes was on the book of Acts. And the reason, I mean, this is a sermon series about the book of John, so you're like, well, Jason, why are you talking about the book of Acts? I'm getting there, okay? So the book of Acts, the class, was uh, presented by one of our cherished professors at the time, Dr. Terry Bleak. He's no longer with us, but when he was there, like, he was a great, like, uh, teacher, instructor, and he really led us uh, verse by verse, just like we're doing here, but through the book of Acts. Now, one of his first sessions, though, wasn't on the book of Acts. It was this story that we're going to read about today in the book of John. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So if you have your Bible, your Bible apps, go ahead and open up to that, please. And it was at the beginning of the Acts class that he taught us from this chapter in the book of John. And one of his reasons for doing that was because he wanted to teach us, who were going to be future pastors, ministers, and missionaries, that no matter what Bible text you're looking at, whether it's lessons from the Apostle Paul or Psalms or narrative story passages that have to do with Jesus or anybody in the Old Testament, you are able to get theological truth from them. And the goal is, is that I want that theological truth. I understand what God's trying to teach me, and then I can apply it to my life. So he used this passage to teach us that you can get theological truth from every Bible passage out there. And then at the end of the lesson, after he taught us about this passage in John chapter 2, he said, you know what, I want you to take this message, today's lesson, and I want you to share that with all the people that you minister to. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm sharing it with you guys. So like I said, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, open it up to John chapter 2, and we're going to start reading at verses 1. So the Bible says this, it says the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he says. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. 
and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. The title of my sermon today is simply this, What Does This Sign Mean? What does this sign mean? Join me in prayer, please. God, we love and we praise you. I thank you for today. God, I thank you for each and every person here. God, from the teenagers to the parents to the adults. God, I'm so glad that you're here and you have a reason for each and every one in this room to be here today, God. So God, I, I pray that through this message that you laid on my heart this week, I pray that you use it, God. Use it, God, to speak to the hearts, to speak to the lives of those who are here today, God. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear exactly what we want to hear from you. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So my title of message is, What Does This Sign Mean? What does this sign mean? Well, I got this title from verse 11. And look with me again at verse 11. It says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, scholars have held, when they read the book of John, traditionally scholars have looked at it in two different parts. The first half of the book of John they call the book of signs. And the reason why I say that is because several scriptures in that first half of the book use the word sign when it talks about something that Jesus did. You saw it here in verse 11. It comes up again in chapter 4 and chapter 5, chapter all and on and end. There's seven signs in the first half of the book of John. And each of those signs is kind of like I mean, think about signs in real life. You're driving down the road, you see a stop sign, hopefully you stop. Our insurance agent would love for you to stop at the stop sign, I'm sure, right? So you see, uh, you know, you go and you're driving, you see a green light, and hopefully you go, right? So we, we know what those signs mean, and when those signs mean something, that's something that we've learned and kind of ingrained in our brain. Well, what happens is, is in this in the book of John, the first half, there's seven signs, and each of those signs is supposed to tell us, to teach us something about God and who he is. Now, what does this sign mean? Um, you know, let's put a pin in that for now. You know, let's put a pin in that for now. I don't know if I'm ready to answer that question yet, because um, this first sign has to do with turning water into wine. I don't know where that came from, right? Like, that's, that's crazy. I, you know, I'm drinking water in this bottle right now. It's not wine. I'll go ahead and tell you that. This morning while we were praying before church, Pastor Ryan thought that I could make some water into wine. I said, I'm not Jesus. I can't do that. So, you know, it just came out of left field, this whole miracle of turning water into wine. So what does this sign mean? Let's put a pin in that. I'll come back to it later. Now, a funny thing happened to me about three weeks ago, so I want to share this story with you this. On a morning, our alarm went off. Me and Desiree, my wife Desiree and I, our alarms went off. So like we do, we get out of bed, and I go in the bathroom, get ready. She gets like she sits up on the side of the bed. She takes some medicine, some of the things that she does in the morning every morning. So I'm in there on the bathroom. I'm getting ready. It's just life, ordinary morning, nothing different. All of a sudden, she screams out as loud as she possibly can. Dang it, I thought today was Friday. That's what she said. I kid you not. Y'all, it was a Wednesday. It was not Friday at all. It was a Wednesday, and she was swore up and down. She goes, I thought it was Friday, and I am so mad that it is not Friday. 
And so I got a big kick out of that. I was laughing at that. But then the next week, I did the same thing, except it wasn't Wednesday. I'm talking to somebody. I said, hey, tomorrow when we come to school, you know, your homework's due, all this kind of stuff. And then someone said, hey, Jason, tomorrow's Thursday. It's not Friday. And I was like, you're right. Tomorrow is Thursday. I want it to be Friday so bad that I'm going to act like tomorrow is Friday. I mean, some of it is I'm going to chalk it up to getting older. But some of it, I think, is just is how it is sometimes in our lives. You know, we go to work each and every day, and we're looking forward to that Friday. We're looking forward to that weekend. We just kind of get in this ordinary pattern of just dragging along until the weekend. And it's funny, you know, when it kind of slaps us in the face like it did this past month for me and Desiree, but it's true. Like a lot of us in life, it's just ordinary. You get up every day, you go to work, you talk to your kids, you go home, you eat, you go to bed, rinse and repeat. You know, like the very next day, it's the same thing over and over again. Life can get so ordinary. Um, but not just that. I had someone else recently ask me, again, we're in February, correct? This is February. It's not over yet. So in the middle of February, someone asked me, hey, Jason, when's your spring break? I knew the answer. The answer for me and my students is April the 1st through the 5th. It's the middle of February, and I know that my spring break is in the beginning of April. So then they had a follow-up question. Are you looking forward to spring break? Of course I am. What teacher is not looking forward to spring break already in February? It's over a month away. I've got a whole solid month called March to go to before I get to spring break. But hey, teachers, it's ordinary for us to condition ourselves that we're just making it through until the next holiday time. It's just ordinary. Can anybody feel, can anybody relate to any of this? Is your life, hey, look at that. Did your life just get ordinary sometimes? Like you get up, you go to work, you eat, you go to bed. Like it's just ordinary day after day after day. And you're wondering like what can change this repetitive, ongoing, ordinary cycle that we've created. Something else that I think we all do in our lives that's become very ordinary for us is we just want to relax. We want to unwind. Some of us pick up the remote and binge watch all the TV shows. Some of us pick up our cell phones and binge whatever's on here. And hey, that's just become ordinary, right? It's just common. It's ordinary to do all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I mean, it's just something that we do. It's a part of our culture. It's a part of our lives. It's ordinary to waste time just watching TV or chilling on our, our cell phones. Look at our Bible story today. There's ordinary parts in our Bible story today. The very beginning of our story today, we hear that Jesus and his disciples and his mom are at a wedding banquet. That's not ordinary, but what is ordinary is that in this day and time at wedding banquets, they serve wine. It's kind of a thing. Everybody's got it. So it's an ordinary thing. You go to the wedding banquet, there's wine. One problem, they ran out. Have you ever been to a party where they ran out of something? Those little cocktail wieners and the barbecue sauce. I don't know, little cheese balls. Like you get to a party and they run out of something. How embarrassing is that? Like they ran out. As a party host, I know when my wife has hosted people at our house, she gets so worried that she's going to run out of whatever that she like quadruples the amount that she buys or makes. So we've got plenty for the next 17 weeks. You know, like we're good. But like it's an ordinary that party hosts don't want to run out of stuff. And it's ordinary in these wedding celebrations that they serve wine. But 
in our Bible story, there was a problem. They ran out. It was embarrassing. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus' mother, we know her as Mary, Jesus' mother walks right up to him in verse 4. Let's look in verse 4. Uh, excuse me, uh, verse 3, she walks right up to him and says, they have no more wine. And then this is what Jesus says in verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, Mary, Jesus' mother, sounds a whole lot like my mother. She doesn't take no for an answer. Now, Jesus didn't say no, but, you know, he implied, like, I don't really want to get involved. You know, this isn't my thing. And Jesus' mother is like, I hear you, but you take care of it. Servants, you listen to what he's got to say. So Mary did not take no for an answer here. So then this is what happens in Jesus' um, life. He, he takes action. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. So that we got six stone water jars, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. I'll do the math for you. Carry the one, round it, okay. 120 to 180 gallons of water is what Jesus has right here on hand. If they hold between 20 and 30 and there's six of them, that's 120 to 130 gallons of water. I mean, that's like swimming pool amount, right? Swimming pools amount of water here that Jesus has. Ta-da, it's water. What's more ordinary in life than water? Not much. So, you know, we've got all this water here. And then Jesus performs a miracle. He turns all of it, over 120 gallons of it, into wine. That's the miracle. But my question is still unanswered. What does this sign mean? This is a miraculous sign. The Bible says it in verse 11, this first miraculous sign. But what does this sign mean? I can tell you what it doesn't mean. And I'll start with that. I can tell you what it doesn't mean. As much as this is true, it doesn't mean, this, the, the sign doesn't mean always listen to your mother. That's a good truth. I, I need to follow that. Some of us need to follow that. But that's not what the Bible's trying to communicate here. Remember I said theological truth is something we can apply to our lives. That is a, a general truth, but that's not something that I'm getting out of here. I'll tell you something else that's what the sign doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus keeps the party going. It doesn't mean that either. Yes, the party kept going because now there's almost 180 gallons of wine. But that doesn't mean any. That doesn't mean that Jesus kept the party going. What? What? Like it's not like he's in the club saying, "Yeah, let's go." Like that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't do that. Okay, so it's not that either. Something else that. Uh, this sign doesn't mean is, well, Jesus isn't making a statement at all about alcohol. I know some people take this story and they're like, see, he may turn water into wine. So Jesus has no problem with alcohol whatsoever. That has nothing to do with this story one way or the other. Jesus isn't approving or rejecting wine whatsoever. That's not the point of this story. So what does this sign mean? Well, I'm about to tell you. And I've been thinking about this for weeks, and I've been thinking about it, praying about it, and I feel like God laid it on my heart. And the thing is, is that I want to share what the sign means to you. And if there's nothing else that you hear in my message today, because you probably can't hear much because my voice sounds crazy, but 
if there's nothing else that you hear in the sermon, it's this. God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Let me say that again. God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. What is more ordinary in life than water? Not much. It is one of the most ordinary things. You know, a huge percentage of our earth is covered in water. So there is not too many things out there that is more ordinary, more common than water. And Jesus just changed over 120 gallons of it into wine. But here's the kicker. This is where I get the truth that God, or that, yeah, God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. He didn't just change the water into wine. He changed it into the most extraordinary, best-tasting wine that they have ever had. Here's how I know that. Look with me at verse 9. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew he called the bridegroom over. He didn't call Jesus over. He didn't call the bride over. He didn't call anybody else over. He called the bridegroom over because that's the host of the party. He called the bridegroom over and said, a host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. Pause right there. So what that's saying is the ordinary thing for you to do is to bring out the good stuff and and when everybody's too drunk to notice, you slip in the dollar store stuff. Like that's what they're saying here. Like that's ordinary. It was common. That was what everyone was expected to do. But not Jesus. Let's keep reading. But you have kept the best till now. So you had great wine and now you've got even better wine. God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary this was Jesus' first sign. And the scripture said in verse 11, the first time that he revealed his glory. And he is trying to teach us one very important lesson. And that is that God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Life with Jesus is not meant to feel or be ordinary. Let me say that again. Life with Jesus is not meant to be or feel ordinary ordinary at all. So if your life right now, if your life feels ordinary, you may need to check your relationship with God. Is it as deep? Is it as meaningful as it once was or as it used to be? If you go to work and you hate it, let me say that again, if you go to work and hate it, have you taken your focus off God and put it on something else like yourself? Is that why you hate your job all of a sudden? Now, I get it. There are bad situations out there, and not every day is a bed of roses, and not every week is a great week. Like, I totally get that, and some of us have bad situations. But if day in and day out, year after year, you're going to your job, your place of employment, and you absolutely hate it, is it because that you might, might have taken your focus off God and why he put you there and put it on something else like yourself? If you can't wait to sit down and pick up your phone, turn on the TV, do something like that instead of pick up your Bible, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. You won't feel any different when you put your phone down or when you put your remote down as you would if you put your Bible down. So in saying all that, maybe God brought you here today, February 25th, 2024, Anchor Church. Maybe God brought you here today so that you could spend some time with him 
because maybe it's been a long time since you last did. God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Give me a second. So let me be absolutely clear. Let me be absolutely clear. I'm not judging you at all. I really am not. I'm not judging you at all if you feel like your life has just become ordinary. I just explained in the beginning, that's how our life is going sometimes. So I totally get that feeling. I'm not judging you at all for it. I'm not even judging you if you've moved your focus off of God onto yourself because I've been there too and I know exactly what that feels like and I know exactly how dangerous that can be if you don't refocus what's going on back to God. I'm not judging you if you spend time on your phone or watch TV, because guess what? I do both those things rather frequently, so I totally get that. I'm not judging you at all, but it would be a shame. Let me say that again. It would be a shame if you came in today feeling that way, that your life is ordinary, and you left today feeling the exact same way. That would be a shame. And that's why I think God wants you to hear this message today. God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. He did it with the water into wine. He can do it with your life today. He can do it with your life today. You have a chance today to spend time with God and choose to live the extraordinary life that he has for you. Like I said, life with God is not meant to or shouldn't feel ordinary at all. God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. So one more question that I need to answer before I finish this sermon is this. What should you do now, knowing this, that God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary, what should you do now with that information? Well, first off, right here in this very room, you might want to spend some time with God. Spend some time right here with God. Um, whatever is on your heart, Say it to him. Talk to him about it. Give it over to him. Ask forgiveness from him if you need to do that. You would know in your life what's come between you and God, if anything. And if there's anything in your life that you need to ask forgiveness for, right now in this room would be a great time to do that. Secondly, what should you do now? Secondly, look for ways for God to turn the ordinary parts of your life into something extraordinary. And what I mean by that is there's ways that only he can do that. Again, I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus, so I'm not turning the water into wine, Jesus did. So look for ways in your life for God to turn those ordinary parts into something extraordinary. Here's some examples. Look at your job through God's eyes. Rediscover your purpose. Why did he put you there in the first place? Um, students, I'm talking to you as well, whether you go to homeschool co-ops or whether you go to your campuses, God has you there for a reason as well. It's not just because I'm getting an education. That is very, very, very important. But God has you there because you might be the only person in that school or in that co-op that's a light for Jesus. You might be one of the only people there who can show people the love of Jesus. He might have you there. Adults, that might be the same for you. When you're at your job, you might be the one person there who God has called to be a light in that dark place. You might be the one person in that place who's called to show others the love of Jesus. Look at your coworkers through God's eyes. Look at your coworkers through God's eyes. Invest in them. Invest in your relationships with them. Value them. Empower them. Share with them what God has done in your life and can do in theirs. 
Don't just make that coworker relationship, hey, did you catch the game yesterday? Or, oh my goodness, the weather's so terrible. Like that's a great way to start, but like actually invest in them. Look at them through God's eyes. But I'm an introvert, you might say. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? I mean, as crazy as I am, as crazy as I am, I'll talk to anybody, but God knows I don't want to talk to everybody, right? Like, I mean, we all have a little bit of that, but that's the thing. That's why I said you got to refine that. You got to find that. Look at your job. Look at your coworkers. Look at them through God's eyes. Look for ways for God to turn the ordinary parts of your life into extraordinary parts. Um, like when I start looking at my coworkers through God's eyes, I've found some very close and dear friends in my life, and I can talk to them about God, and I can talk to them honestly about what's happening in my life, good and bad, and I can share with them some thoughts that I've, you know, that God's taught me along the way or some things that's going on, and I can hear from them. They tell me when things are going on in their eye, they ask for prayer, you know, we pray, like we do all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of relationship that I enjoy having with my coworkers. Now, you might not have that relationship with your coworkers yet, I know, that's what I'm talking about. We want to turn that ordinary relationship into something extraordinary, and only God can do that. So another way that you can look for some ways, third, look for some ways for God to make your family extraordinary. Now, I know I, I'm going to hear it. My family is already extraordinary. Uh, you're going to think that right now. But let me be clear about this as well. Busy does not equal extraordinary. Let me say that again. Busy does not equal extraordinary. I feel like sometimes in our modern day society, we feel like we've got to do everything. We've got to go to all the parks, all the things. We've got to be in all the sports, all the activities. They are important. I get it. Memories, you know, your kids are only young once. All those cute little sayings that people say. Like, I get it. But extraordinary and busy aren't necessarily the same thing. I just want to make that clear. Secondly, wild. Like some people go home and they're like, man, my kids are just so energetic. They get so wild. They, they're just expressing themselves. Wild and extraordinary also aren't the same thing either. So if you're at home and you're like, wow, check this out. It's just the funnest place to be. My kids are bouncing off the walls. It's extraordinary around here. No, it's wild around here. Like, let's make sure about what, let's think about what we're talking about. Busy and extraordinary aren't necessarily the same thing. Wild and extraordinary aren't necessarily the same thing. Find ways to invest in your spouse. Find ways to invest in your kids. Find ways to invest in your parents. And I'm talking about the teenagers can invest in their parents and adults. We can invest in our parents as well. Like, find ways to do that. Make the time spent with them meaningful. Make the conversations with them intentional. Watch God turn the ordinary into something extraordinary in your life. Maybe you're here today and you don't know this extraordinary God that I'm talking about, the one who turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. As the musicians come, it would not be right for me to talk about all the things that God does, the fact that God can turn the ordinary into the extraordinary and not give you an opportunity, if you don't know this extraordinary God, to know him this morning. I want to introduce you to him today. Um, in youth group world, we have this thing called Alive in Five, and it's going to be on the screen here in a minute. It's simply just five truths that will help you understand exactly what the gospel is all about. Um, the first one is simply God loves you. 
I can't really say it any more plainer than that. God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your family is like or what your past is like. God loves you. Secondly, our sin, the stuff that God doesn't like, the stuff that God doesn't approve of, our sin is what divides us from God. And because of that, number three, Jesus died for our sins, then came back to life. Jesus died for our sins, then came back to life. He did that. The same Jesus that turned water into wine just a couple years later died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. So they're gone forevermore. But then he came back to life to show us that death isn't even final. Death isn't even final. The fourth truth is, well, we need to decide to put our faith in God. It's something that you only can decide to do. I can't decide for you. Your parents can't even decide for you. We need to decide to put our faith in God. And then finally, once we do that, the Holy Spirit will help us live for God. Because this life, this extraordinary life that God has for us, doesn't end when we ask Him into our hearts. It only just begins. So the Holy Spirit will help us live for God. So today, if you don't know him, you can make the best decision in your life today. Yesterday, one of my third grade um, co-workers recently, their mom passed away. And so um, it was a couple weeks ago, it was after, right after Valentine's Day, her, her mom passed away and she's younger, she's younger than I am. The mom isn't, I'm talking about my coworker. My coworker is younger than I am, sorry. But her mom passed away and so Again, I'm seeing my coworkers through God's eyes. So me and some other coworkers of us decided that we're going to go attend the funeral for our coworkers' mom. So we're down there yesterday at the funeral service. And the whole funeral service, every speaker that got up there, whether it was a pastor, a relative, a, a neighbor, a church friend, whatever, every single one of them got up there and they did two things. They shared a memory, like a fun memory of the mom, and then they shared about her love for Jesus. That was it. Next person, memories, her love for Jesus. Next person, memories, love for Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Her mom's life, as brief of it as it was, was extraordinary because of her love for God and what God used her in her life to do. So it would be a miss if I didn't present a chance for each and every one of you here to get to know this extraordinary God, this God that turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you, Lord God. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that you turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. In our lives, sometimes, God, it just seems like day after day, our ordinary lives are just dragging on. There's not a whole lot exciting. There's not a whole lot different. There's not a whole lot of passion and drive and motivation there, God. Our lives have become ordinary. But as we've seen today in this extraordinary miracle of you turning water into the best tasting wine that these people ever had, Lord. You long to turn our ordinary lives into something extraordinary. Life with you is not meant to be ordinary. But God, there may be some people in this room right now, there may be some people here, I don't know, who don't know you. And God, I pray that today would be the day that they would say, you know what? I wanna meet this extraordinary God. I wanna give my life over to this extraordinary God so that he can turn my ordinary life into something extraordinary. 
So if that's you this morning with no one looking around, if that's you this morning and you would say, I have never had an opportunity to get to know this extraordinary God, but I want to do it today. Would you do something bold for me, please? Would you just slip up your hand right now? I would love to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. God, we love you so much. We praise you for who you are. Now, since God turns the ordinary into something extraordinary, what I want to do right now is while the musicians are playing, before they even sing a single note, while they're playing, I want to give us an opportunity to all of us in here to spend some time with God. It's not going to be long. I'm not going to make it last for hours. But I want just 60 seconds, one minute, one minute with you alone with God. And you can say anything to him you want. You can spend that time talking about anything that you want with him. But around this room right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, spend that time with Jesus. stand with me this morning, please. You don't have to be done spending time with Jesus. That's the good thing about church services is that we're going to have more time for it right now. The musicians are going to lead us in a song, but if you choose, if you choose to, instead of saying, spend time with Jesus, that's totally fine. This God that turns the ordinary into the extraordinary, he wants to spend time with you this morning as well. So the musicians are going to sing, and I tried the best that I can to communicate that God turns the ordinary into the extraordinary, but that only will happen if you spend time with him. So everybody around this room, let's spend some time with Jesus this morning, and I hope that no one leaves this place feeling the same way they came in. God wants to take the ordinary parts of your life and turn them into something extraordinary but if you if you look back at our passage today I think it's interesting that he didn't do anything extraordinary until somebody came to him with the need he's the perfect gentleman he's never gonna force himself on you he's waiting for your invitation to come turn things from ordinary to extraordinary In just a moment, I'm going to pray and, and we can be done. But um, can we thank Pastor Jason really quick for bringing a word? Pastor Jason, thank you. Um, it was good, timely, needed to hear it. So good. Um, it's true. He wants to take your ordinary and make it extraordinary. We just got to let him. We got to let him. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you um, that you are extraordinary. You're not you're not ordinary. You're not just, you know, plain Jane. You are extraordinary. Thank you. Thank you that you want us to be extraordinary. You want us to experience extraordinary. I pray, God, for every single person in here that we would come to a place where we allow you to turn our ordinary into 
extraordinary. Thank you, God. We love you. We praise you. Finally, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen and amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today, everybody. Thanks for being here. We will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.